So over the past two weeks, we've been focusing on Joseph, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. We've been plotting the faltering course uh, of this family that will eventually lead to Jesus. So the story of uh, Joseph, to recap, week one, Joseph was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers and carted off to Egypt. Week two, Joseph was accused of attempted rape by his Egyptian master's wife and then thrown in jail. So we can see things aren't going very well for Joseph. Uh, But in prison, Joseph proves so trustworthy that the warder or the jailer puts him in charge of all the other inmates. And there comes a time when Pharaoh has two of his officials thrown in jail, the cupbearer and the chief baker. And these two characters had dreams that troubled them. And God enabled Joseph to interpret their dreams. To cut a long story short, the cupbearer's dream signified that within three days, he'd be restored to his former position in the palace. So the baker heard this, he perked up a bit, he wanted to know what his dream meant. Uh, But it's not such good news for the baker, uh, because within three days, he's going to be beheaded and hung on a tree. And Joseph says to the cupbearer, He says, uh, when you see Pharaoh, put in a good word for me and get me out of this dungeon because actually I've done nothing wrong. Of course, on the third day, which happened to be Pharaoh's birthday, uh, the cupbearer is released and the baker is beheaded. The cupbearer forgets all about Joseph, completely slips his mind. Two years later, Uh, Pharaoh has two very disturbing dreams which none of his magicians or wise men can interpret. And only then does the cupbearer remember Joseph. He says, oh yeah, there's this Hebrew guy in prison. And when I was in there with the baker, he interpreted our dreams and everything worked out just as he said. Uh, I was released and the baker was impaled. Well, get him up here. Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to him, I hear you can interpret dreams. Joseph replies, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he requires, he desires. Uh, Now remember that in our story so far, Joseph has been beaten up, thrown in a pit, threatened with execution, sold into slavery, all of that by his own brothers. He's been falsely accused of attempted rape thrown in jail and then left there for a further two years by a man who really ought to have helped him. We might think that Joseph would be a tad bitter. But even after all of that, Joseph acknowledges God's sovereignty. He says, God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires, not not Joseph. And he does. Joseph interprets the dreams. They both mean the same thing. Uh, Egypt's going to experience seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. Pharaoh would not enjoy hearing about the prospect of famine. He was supposed to be the god of the Nile. It was supposedly his power that gave Egypt its abundant harvest. A famine would reveal his impotence, his powerlessness. So quite frankly, Pharaoh would have been terrified at the prospect of famine. And Joseph makes this suggestion. He says, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. 
What's more, he provides a solution. He says, store up the grain in the years of abundance, then you'll have enough for the years of famine. Where is Pharaoh going to find such a man to take charge of this massive project? Well, he stood right in front of him. And so Joseph becomes second in command of a superpower. After seven years, the famine comes. But it doesn't just affect Egypt, it affects all the surrounding nations, including Canaan. Who lives in Canaan? Joseph's family. And eventually his brothers, all except the youngest, Benjamin, come to Egypt in search of grain. And so we end up in a situation where uh, Joseph's brothers are stood before Joseph. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. What ensues is the most amazing story of forgiveness and reconciliation. But to understand this story, we first need to understand the nature of forgiveness. I looked up the word forgiveness in the dictionary, and it, it appears that there are two aspects to forgiveness. The first is when someone refuses to harbor resentment. The second is when the offender is pardoned, uh, i.e. they no longer have to pay the penalty. It is the first of these that we're primarily concerned with, uh, a refusal to harbor resentment. C.S. Lewis said, everyone thinks that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Uh, But we can and must choose not to remain bitter, resentful, and hateful. Admittedly, that is easier said than done. Uh, Some of us here will have been uh, abused emotionally, psychologically, physically, sexually, maybe even spiritually. Forgiveness is hard. It is hard. But we know that we must forgive. Unforgiveness will eat away at our soul uh, by a ca- like, a, like a cancer. But um, forgiving someone, by forgiving someone, we're not saying that it doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters to God. And the second aspect of forgiveness, whether or not the uh, offender is pardoned, whether or not they have to pay the penalty, well, that is God's business. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus died that we might be forgiven. But the condition of forgiveness is repentance. God's love is unconditional. But if we refuse to repent, we cannot be forgiven. Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized. Acts 3.19 says, repent and turn to God that your sins can be wiped out. Jesus emphasized repentance. Luke 13 verse 3, he says, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 17, verse 3, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And so on and so on. Repentance brings us reconciliation with God. It brings us back into right relationship with God. Repentance and forgiveness, that combination, brings us into right relationship with one another as well. But say someone's been violent towards you or unjust, or sexist, or racist, or controlling, or or, or whatever. You can choose to forgive them in the sense that you can refuse to harbor resentment. But you cannot have a good relationship with that person unless they repent, unless they acknowledge that what they've done is wrong and take steps to amend their behavior. In some situations, it will be foolhardy, maybe even dangerous, Uh, to have anything to do with them because they remain unrepentant and unchanged. 
So Joseph's brothers are at the palace. They're bowing down before him in fulfillment of the dreams that Joseph had all of those years before. The same brothers who were the cause of all of those years of uh, confinement, uh, solitude and slavery. What will Joseph do? What will he do? Have you ever been tempted to give the game away? Have you ever been tempted to let the cat out of the bag? Uh, Caleb loves setting up Easter egg hunts around the house. The thing is, he gets so excited, he can't resist telling us where they're hidden. And I imagine that Joseph, he must have been charged with emotion. It must have been a tremendous effort for him not to reveal his true identity. But he didn't. He takes a long-term view because he knows that repentance is the prerequisite 